My name is Renee Romero Schuler. I'm an artist, and you're listening to the Just Conversation podcast. Warning this program contains strong themes meant for a mature audience. Discretion is advised. Going live in five, four. What does live mean? Uh. Huh? Welcome to the Just Conversation Podcast, the show where we ground humanity's most absurd and baffling ideas in childish ways. I am your host, Jack. And I am your other host, Christina. And if you haven't yet, remember to hit that subscribe button to get notified the second new episodes are released. Also, this show is most enjoyable with a listening partner to share opinions and ideas on the topics we discuss. Yes, so be sure to go get a listening partner, especially, look... We, we have a lot of uh, scholars that listen to the show. We got a lot of creatives that listen to the show. Generally, the the underworld of society, because we, we kind of shy away from boring lines and ties and suits and office stuff and blah, They should definitely blah, listen blah. to us, too, though. Those people should. <laughs> I'm just saying that mainly, yeah. if you are some sort of creative, particularly an artist or interested in arts... Um, Today's guest is not just an artist, but like top tier, astoundingly complicated, profound eliteness of art world. Yeah, I hope you checked out her work before you check the the podcast. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, if you haven't, go and check out the work of our guest today, which is Renee Romero Schuler, and she is a an amazing artist with one unique techniques that aren't that quite common um two art pieces that are pristine astounding dark and beautiful and abstract and realistic and psychedelic and surreal like all of the above at the same time yes really profound work i look at her art and it it is emotion provoking and I think I get different things from art. I mean, I guess that's the point of art. Everybody gets yes. something different. Yeah. But what I get from art is usually very reflective. And I I don't even know how to put it. Like, her, one, her art's profound. I've uh, followed her through the interwebs, uh, observing her art and her make art. You can watch her make art in some places, socials and stuff like that. You can see her create stuff. That's pretty cool. And the work makes me... I love, uh, everybody here knows, anybody who listens to this, knows I like to pick my own brain and knows I like to pick the brain of others. Her art does that kind of, in which it makes me pick my brain Mm -hmm. and makes me want, like it makes you, me at least, it makes me kind of go crazy a little. And I start wondering, like, I already am full aware that the universe is composed of atoms and we are all made of exactly the same atoms that if we we zoomed in far enough we're not really here there's just the illusion that we're here because there's enough atoms put together but we're just a bunch of atoms yeah i get that feeling in the most literal sense with her art where at a distance it's very pronounced very detailed lines and you can see the intention And then you get in close and you get that sort of we're all atoms visual. Mm -hmm. And that that thought right there kind of makes you go crazy. Like identity is so composed of your own imagination. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. 
and her art gives me that feeling where you got you have to project onto it. You, there's something there. I guess it's like a like a three way interaction, right? There's her intention. Yes. There's what you project, mm-hmm. and then what you get when you close in on it. Hmm. And they're like different things going on and all that, but it happens simultaneously. Yeah. Wait, what's the difference of the first, the second two? Well, the f- one where you're projecting onto it is one thing. Yeah. When you close in on it and you lose sight of the bigger picture. Oh, okay. You no longer have that projection. You okay. entered the more abstract space. Because you could see it and be like, okay, this is what I think she put on there. Yeah. But this is initially what I saw. It reminded me of this or it made me think of that. Mm. And then you close in on it and you're like, none of none of the above. Of the now above. I have a different experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. It makes you like question you while looking at that. And you just get that from her work or from all types of artwork? Very specific artists do that to me. Mm-hmm. That's why I like, uh, I like portrait pieces. I like um, self-portraits. I like... I guess it kind of happens when you have surreal art, particularly, where it's somewhere between reality and fiction, but it's neither fiction nor reality. It's not psychedelic. It's not abstract. It's somewhere in the middle where you're like, Man, well, is it more this? Is it more that? Am I projecting that it's more this? Mm-hmm. Because if it's just something like, think of a Raphael painting or a Da Vinci painting. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Like, I, I know what's there. I can only interpret the images you're showing me. But so There's nothing hidden in there? No, there's a bunch of crap hidden there. But I'm interpreting what the meaning behind what is factually there is telling me. Okay. Instead of, well, what's factually there? That's the two different things. Yes, that is definitely an angel. Yeah. That over there is definitely supposed to me be God. Definitely. God is definitely reaching for that mortal. Definitely. Okay. I can only interpret the meaning behind the actions painted. Mm-hmm. While with Renee's art, I am more trying to figure out what's painted. What's definitely there. Not what's the meaning behind what's definitely there. No, no, no. What's definitely there. And in trying to do that, the projection of what I think it means happens yeah. naturally. Because in a way, there's nothing there, but there is definitely something there. <laughs> exactly. That middle ground yeah. of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I like that space. I think my favorite artists all have that characteristic. They have that space, that middle ground, that area of yeah. uncertainty. I think uns- I think I like uncertainty. Yeah, like Salvador Dali, the, the one with the elephants. And are those really elephants or are those... I think it was actually... Um, what's the birds with the long necks? What are those? Goose? Like uh, um, swans. Swans. Yes, they're swans on a pond. But if, flamingos. I think they're swans on, on a pond. And then if you look at the pond, it's they become elephants. See, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, like it's... What's really there? Yes, exactly. What's it's there's so much uncertainty in images directly in front of you. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Because you're wondering what's going on. You're wondering why, you're wondering how there's no certainty. Yeah. There's no certainty and within that lack of certainty, you're certainly going to find something. Mhm. And everybody's going to find something different. 
And whatever you're feeling towards it is also something to- totally different from anything. Yes. Like whatever emotions you feel from her painting and whatever she gets from looking at it is totally different. A hundred percent. I think that is inherently part of art. Although I don't think all artists convey that well. Oh. Because again, if you have an, a painting where you were too direct. Yeah. Then you like you know what they were trying to do. Yeah. You know what they're trying to do. You know what they're trying to make you feel. There's certain paintings that are super absurdly dark. And what's happening in them is blatantly obvious. Yeah. And that's fine too. I'm not saying that's not art. But yeah. that's not art for me. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, the clarity stole some of the interpretation and there's less for me to do as a viewer yeah there is Mm, that's an interesting way to look at it yeah yeah Yeah, exactly think of a painting more like a video game you want to be involved if you wanted to watch a movie you would just do that yes it's just fine yeah leonardo da vinci could paint you a movie Mm -hmm. but renee paints a video game Yes. You take part or in Alex the Gray. art. Alex Gray, exactly. <gasps> you paint, well, they paint a video game. It's it's something you participate in. You mm-hmm. are part of the experience that is happening. You're not being told what the experience is. You're making the story with them. Yes. They did their part. Now you are the viewer. What is your part? And you just dictate what that is. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. That is, that is fun. Anyways, I hope uh, you guys enjoy this conversation with Renee. Yes, enjoy. Yes, enjoy. Uh, go look at her, uh, enjoy her socials. Art. Enjoy her art. Go to the website. Uh, you can find her. If you haven't seen her art before, you just pause this and go take a look. You you want to find her. Uh, you can find her website at ReneeSchuler.com. You can find uh, her on Instagram if you go to Renee Romero Schuler. Um, you can just Google. Use the power of Google. Find her art. You will find some of the most beautiful paintings. Again, abstract, surreal, but certain and uncertain and dark and happy and all of the above. It's really complicated. Yes. You got to see it to... True art. Truly profound. Have to look at it for a while and really question what you even see. And I like that a lot. It's up to interpretation so vastly. That was not stolen in any of these art pieces. So, uh, yeah, definitely go check that out. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Hi. Hi. It's going pretty good. I did a couple paintings today. And it's been a very busy couple of months just a very prolific time hasn't it you've been uh, taking advantage of the uh, isolation period to uh go way in on the art yeah i've been as busy as i've ever been throughout all this time and i you know i think it's just been really good for me to have this as an outlet to keep me busy and i think the the bonus is a lot of people that have been stuck at home are looking at blank walls and looking at all their vacation money that they can't spend and deciding <laughs> maybe art is is you know in order for right now so it's been really good for for that and I'm just grateful for it because I've been able to keep a good momentum going with what I'm doing see I like that a lot now how how long have you been doing your art like have you been in this space your whole life doing this yeah this is all I've ever done 
like literally all you've ever done? You've never had an alternative job? I bartended and waited tables, you know, when I was a teenager and into my early 20s. Uh, but I stopped, you know, fairly, fairly soon. Yeah, probably. I, I can't remember if I was like 23. I started, yeah, I was underage, but I, I was always working in clubs um, since I was 16. So um, I'm trying to remember when I stopped. But I, at the time, had a, a business doing decorative painting, like faux finishes and murals and things like that. And we would do really massive jobs, you know, sides of buildings and you know, massive sculptures and whatever. And so we were just, you know, me and my team, we were just so, so busy that I didn't, didn't keep doing any other jobs. Fascinating. And had, had you learned that you were so into art in the first place as a teenager, were you like painting and drawing and sketching everywhere you could or, or how did that play? No. How did you discover this? You know, I, I think I, I discovered it in kindergarten. I had a really enthusiastic kindergarten teacher who, you know, was so excited about whatever I drew on, you know, in crayons or whatever. And she was just ebullient and, and hung my picture on the wall and was just, you know, enraptured by whatever I created. <laughs> it, was, it was nothing great. It was just that was her personality. But I think in my child mind, I thought that is what I want. And so from that moment forward, I thought, I want to be an artist. And um, I, I know I, I wrote my parents a letter. Um, I didn't live with them. And, and I sent them a letter and said that when I grow up, I want to be an artist and have my art in museums. And I want to drive a Rolls Royce because it has my initials all over it. So it's just been the plan all along. And my family, for as long as I ever was around them, you know, they just referred to me as Renee the artist so I just was see that's kind of amazing there's just there was never a moment that you weren't in fact you took detours from your life to do other things instead of I took detours to do art you interrupted art to bartend and do other things pretty much but you know <laughs> I needed to pay the bills no that makes perfect sense though I, I I like that a lot not many people have this um sort of natural drive think about how many people just kind of wander wondering what they're gonna do but you sort of had yeah, that internal I, I second guessed myself a lot I really did I mean I thought for, you know many times over like maybe I should sell real estate or something which was kind of a joke but I I you know because artists don't typically make it and i just thought you know all those times where i was really broke i was like god i don't know if i can do this you know but see that makes perfect I sense i yeah you 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 i do i as an artist you're gonna experience that sort of resistance which i guess happens it, it, both personally it's you trying to defeat you and from the external world that's trying to sort of push you into a line but if you are an artist which you are an artist you you kind of didn't as much as the world is trying to push you into the line a real artist like yourself just couldn't do it it was probably daunting to consider doing something like that that's just mundane, repetitive, and just some structured thing somebody else made for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I, I'm not cut out for that. I've always pretty much said I'm not employable in the traditional sense. I, uh, I'm right there with you. I don't understand. I, I, it's so... 
it's so horrible to think about doing something that you hate forever. And I applaud, I applaud all the people who like, it's an important thing to be able to do. And we need those kinds of people in the world. It's necessary. We, and people who do art couldn't exist if it wasn't for the people who can tolerate doing that office thing that needs to get done so that the light stays on so that like the factory works of routine pull a lever every day all day so that things do function so that you know you could get that paintbrush that allows you to then go paint in the first place you know so it's it's necessary but it's kind of liberating to not be the one there ironically I would I would completely agree. Yeah, I think that's what just makes the world go round is, you know, there are different people that are inclined in different ways. Yeah, it's uh it it's depressing and happy. It's bittersweet. There you go. That's that's the perfect term. Because yeah, for people like you and I, we see somebody who is doing routine work we'll call it, right? We see somebody doing routine work and we are slowly getting picked at imagining what that would be like. But then they might think that what we do is kind of impossible and meaningless, right? And they find meaning in what they do. I think that's the right way to put it. Meaning, purpose, those kinds of words very well describe it. There are people who need the structure and feel like their purpose comes from there. And there are people who can't have structure because they feel like their purpose dies there. Totally. I mean, some people just want a job and that's okay. I mean, like there's something to be said for showing up at nine, leaving at five and leaving it there. You know, there's, there's a, there's something kind of appealing about that, honestly, but I just, I've never done it. You you find that appealing. You find like the, I don't know. I don't know how I I applaud. I don't, I think it's just kind of intriguing. And I think a lot of people do, um, find that to be the the realm that they want to exist in and and it and it could be a perfectly good existence it could be in, see that's what's the re- job you're hired to do and you leave and you leave the job there you go home and you're home you know being fully present in whatever you take on and i'm always the wheels never stop turning i'm like i'm always on See, I can perfectly agree and understand your angle on that. I'm I'm kind of that way too. I'm chaotic. I I go in, I sit down, I write, I get up, I wander, come back, sit down, write. And it's like whenever it strikes me, whenever I want to. I schedule times if I didn't get it done in the day, I have to get to it every day. It's manic almost, but have if I were told to do it, I don't think I would want to do it. If that makes yeah, sense. I get it. How how did you stumble upon the type of art that you do now, which I find completely fascinating. It's somewhere between like uh, abstract, this sort of, uh, how would you describe it? It's so interesting to me. It's like people that are there, but not there. And there's the details of the person, but also the sort of lack of clarity for uh, leaving room for projection. You just nailed it. That's uh, it's abstract figurative work, and it's all done with palette knives. And uh, the the idea is that they are everyone and no one all at the same time. And I think that that does leave room for you to find something to identify with, to connect with within the work. You know, I think if it were too descriptive in um, in the approach, I think it it 
can all it can become alienating. So I, you know, how did I come upon it? I I used to paint trees. That was kind of my thing. I painted trees, and I was I used brushes, and they were smooth and slick, and I mean practically photorealistic. I I thought they were more surreal. I I took some liberties, and I had a lot of fun with them, but I was so particular about them that I never felt like they were finished. And I obsessed and obsessed over every painting and every one I was working on. It just, it never felt done. I was like, there's one more branch, one more shadow, one more, you know, something. And they just tortured me. And I did them for years along, you know, I had that decorative painting business, um, but for my own fine art, I always worked on these trees and I didn't want to sell any of them because I never felt like they were done. But every once in a while, somebody would be like, I, I really like this painting. I'd be like, here, take it. <laughs> just take it. It's free. Just go. Because I couldn't deal with it anymore. And so I gave so many paintings away over the years. And um, it was uh, probably about 20 years ago. And I was working on a piece and I had a baby at the time. And so I, you know, put all this paint on my palette. I was ready to get to work on this piece and my son started crying. And so I was like, Oh God, I have to go and be with my son. And I have all this paint on the palette. And I was so irritated with the painting I was working on. I just took all the paint and scraped it off the palette and just troweled it onto the painting. I was like, I'm sick of this stupid painting. It was kind of a temper tantrum. And the next day I came back to look at the painting or to work on it, or I don't know what I was going to do. But when I looked at it, I saw a face in this mess of paint. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I just put some more paint on the palette and grabbed the palette knife and just sort of worked to draw the face out and make it mean something. And in that process, in that moment, in that day, I, I was, I, I sort of, I guess I tapped into an old story, you know, from my life. It was, it was a past trauma and I just connected it all together and continued to work and make this face mean something. And after a while, I stepped back from it and I just wept. It, it was truly the most powerful experience through my work that I've ever had. It was, it was unbelievable. And it was cathartic. You know, I, I, I mean, I would say I really, I, I love the piece. I loved the piece. I, um, I think what was really amazing about it was I felt liberated through the process of doing it. You know, like we hold on to our our past, our traumas, our stories, you know, and we compartmentalize these things and live with them in whatever ways, um, you know, and maybe process them in some ways or, or we don't, I don't know. But for me, this process of creating that painting, it taught me something that I, I hadn't realized. And so I, I worked through this experience. And even though it was a dark experience that propelled the piece, I, it felt so light and so happy, so joyful. I, I was just, I was, I was captivated. And because of that one piece, I continued throughout the following year to create 39 more paintings. 
um, with a similar process. I, I, it didn't take much effort. You know, I just, I was, I have a lot of stories. I've had a lot of lives and I just start by just tapping into something and let the paint kind of direct where things go. And those were the first pieces that I felt like, first of all, like each one was done. And it didn't mean that the story or the experience was done in my mind or my heart or my soul. It just meant that I processed it to a point where I felt, you know, contented, you know. So then I've, you know, I grew up in Chicago. I've been going to galleries since I was a kid. And I know all these people. And so I was showing them the work and getting their opinions on them. Mind you, I showed them a bunch of trees over the years. And they're like, yeah, not our thing. You know, we love you, but that's not our thing. And then I had these pieces and same people are like, okay, now you're on to something, but I can't show them. And it was kind of like, you know, more rejection, which really didn't bother me in the slightest. It never did. I, I just, I've always just taken that as criticism and, you know, just you take it in and you process that and do something with it. Right. And so with this body of work that I was showing, you know, I got a a, a lot of rejection and a lot of it was because they looked at these pieces that were downright primitive and (laughs) definitely kind of dark. Um, And, you know, they're like, it's good work. It's legitimately good work, but it's too dark. I can't sell it. And I just, I I didn't take that. I was like, it's not dark though. I'm liberated through this work and it is so happy and joyful. And so I finally got one of them to say yes to doing a show and the show sold out. So I knew I was onto something and I, I, that, that's where it all began. And I just continued to create more and more pieces and they became looser and, um, different in that I think as I started to work on unraveling all of these stories that I had bottled up inside, I think I became more open to the stories around me. You know, it didn't matter how many times in my life anybody said, you know, that my stories weren't um, unique to just me, like everybody's got one, you know, I, I never wanted it like I wanted to cover my ears. I never wanted to hear that. Um, I don't even think I even believed it. Like nobody could have been through what I've been through kind of thing. But through the, the creating of those paintings, I became more open and I started hearing other stories and, um, letting more people into my life. And I think that all of them started to impact my work. And so it's become mostly female figurative um, uh, work. And I think, you know, that's probably because I am female and my interpretation of everything is as a female. Um, But also because I am inspired by so many things about being female. And so it just keeps coming through in the work. So that pretty much brings me to where I am now with what I'm doing. At first, you were being creative. You began by being creative. 
But in the middle of being a parent and having a moment of frustration, something clicked and you just opened up. In unintentionally, it just kind of happened and a thing happened. And then you come back the next day and you look at this and there's just something there, something about this initial uh, painting that was unintentional by any other description. You, you, you saw almost like purpose in there unintentionally. You, you just walked up. You were like, well, let me see what I'm going to do. And the painting spoke to you opposite than what you were doing before, to what you were doing before, which was you came to the canvas to create. In this case, there was a creation. It was telling you what it was, and you just came to finish it. But you didn't know that until you came back the next day. That's a very interesting moment in the creative process that's right there, because it's something you couldn't have predicted in a million years, but something that happened nevertheless. So, Fascinating. Interestingly, I, I, the trees were, you know, hyper-technical. But, you know, thinking back on them, I would say that the the thought process or the intent in creating trees the way I did them is very, very much um, the same as what I do now. You know, I, I painted trees where they were in their dormant state. So they were just raw and vulnerable and not as pretty, perhaps, as when they're, you know, full of leaves or whatever. Um, you know, they were in this darker winter state. And, you know, the way I approach the figures now is very similar to that, um, not technique wise, but the thinking is that they're they're sort of breaking in and out of the the surface of the paint, and there's this surface tension that's created with the palette knife. Um, you know, all of these things are very deliberate. Uh, the The texture is emblematic of of life, and all of the the grit and stuff that makes life our existence what it is. You know, that texture is important. And the figures kind of coming in and out of that mucky surface and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're beautiful sort of not despite that, but because of it, you know, if you stand back from it, you see something really pretty. And if you look up close, you're like, wow, this is pretty gnarly. This is completely imperfect and, and flawed. And it's, that's, that's what it is. That's the reality. Right. And so to me, it's such an important message that needs to come through um, in what I do is, is that you have to see something beautiful there. It's, the message is to not take something just at face value. You got to look a little deeper. You can look up close and see something that doesn't look so good, but you can stand back and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that's really important to me. Yeah, I, I I can see that quite well in your paintings. I, I would say that your description of it, I, I like that a lot. What led you to this specific style versus everything else you could have been doing is you went from this moment that impacted you so profoundly at the face where you just started continuously trying to replicate that or not replicate that, but sort of dissect your emotions the way that happened that one day. And through that experience, you landed at this current style. And I guess as a, as a artist, you naturally evolve over time as you move through. But what took you to making sort of soul portraits, I'll call them? 
Oh, I think, um, well, gosh, I, I, I feel like it's just, um, just taking in everything around me, you know, like kind of like what I was talking about. Are you, are you asking about the technique or just the why? Both. So the technique, I think just evolved through, you know, working with the palette knife. That's, that's my only tool, uh, that I use for the paintings and, so there, there are a lot of challenges that come with that. You know, I, I, I sculpt the paint onto the canvas, and I think that's a really fun process because it's, it's, it's really not like painting. It's not like what I used to do at all. It's, it's, it's a total departure, and I, the, the texture is just such a powerful vehicle to convey a lot of emotion, and so that's a really important element, and. As far as the figures, they they've just um, continued to evolve as as my stories unravel. I guess. Now the stories you you feel that you're telling here, um, the you you sort of describe them as a merge of your experiences and experiences of others because of similar experiences that we all have through life. Right. When you're exploring that, and you are sort of trying to generalize the story so that it encompasses everybody, but at the same time trying to personalize it based on your own experiences. How do you sort of funnel that onto the painting? How do you choose, for example, an outfit on one of the uh, one of the paintings, one of the females in the painting? Not to say that there aren't males, there are males occasionally, but it's very female dominated. And yeah. you you pick an outfit, you pick a skin tone, you pick a hairstyle. Is that a moment in your life that you're recalling specifically? Is that a story you've heard? How does, how does it land? Or is the painting itself sort of building itself and you're just following what it's guiding you through? Absolutely. The latter. It definitely guides itself. I tend to start with color. You know, I, I think there might be some synesthesia involved or something, but I, I, I feel a color and I start working from there. So I, I get the main palette determined and I just start laying it out. And then I start, you know, do I feel this figure being mature, you know, womanly? Um, uh, or is, is this more about a, a child kind of figure? And, so it sort of goes from there, you know, what, what is the, the time frame of the, you know, experience I'm trying to convey. Um, they all sort of begin with, with myself, you know, and where is it coming from? And that sort of guides things. Somebody commented, um, last year about, you know, that most of my figures have short hair and I, you know, oddly I have very long hair. And I think that's because a lot of what I'm channeling comes from, you know, more difficult times in my life. Um, my mother always made me have short hair and I used to get made fun of and bullied a lot. And people would ask if I was a boy or a girl. And, um, so I think that comes out in the paintings, you know, my figures have short hair and yet they're beautiful. They're feminine. You know, so it, it's I'm playing with a lot of stuff in what I'm doing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wear pants 99% of the time. Uh, 
but all my figures have dresses, you know? And so I'm, I'm going for this kind of super feminine and I love it. I love it. I'm channeling all these things that, you know, I, I just truly love and connect to. And I don't know, it's fun. It's, it's, it's sort of like a fantasy world, you know, like if I could be this, this is how I would be. And so I play with those kinds of ideas as I'm working. And so the colors come to me, the, the, you know, um, what colors the dresses will be against whatever backgrounds, you know, those kinds of things. I love yellow dresses. I, I don't know if I own a single thing that's yellow and I just absolutely love yellow dresses. So just funny little things that kind of come out and it's just like, it's, it's like a dream world. Is there any particular uh, painting you've done recently, let's say in the last year, that's so emotionally charged for you that you struggle to look at it? Ooh, to look at it? No, but I'm looking at one that I don't want to show anyone because I don't want it to sell. Oh, <laughs> there's something. So it is personal enough. Me, but I, it's just too, I, I just love it too much. And so it's just, it's hanging right here by my desk and at the studio and I can't post it because they sell if I post them and I don't want to show any of the galleries. And so I'm just holding on to it what, just for a little this, bit. What decided that you love that? Well, why do you love that one most? I don't know. I don't know. You could put it next to any other painting and be like, well, why? <laughs> you know, like it's very similar to this one or this one. But every once in a while, I just touch upon something that's, you know, in the paint that it's I can't let it go. Um, but let me think about if there are some that I can't look at. I think if I get to any pieces that I can't look at, then I I paint over them. <laughs> You paint <laughs> or over I get them. them out of the studio immediately, and you know that's that's not a viable piece. Why? You know, I won't uh, put anything out in the world that I don't completely love. Interesting. So there's no piece that's so emotionally charged, or something that's so traumatic that landed in paint that you left. No, because they all end. They're not done unless I have closure with whatever it is that fueled the piece. There just isn't one in existence. Interesting. It's your therapy. You've By the time you call it done, you've worked through the problem that lands on the painting in the first place. Yeah. And it's not to say that I'm done with that problem. I probably will go back to it 10, 20 more times, you know, because I, I think that's the thing, you know, with, with therapy is like you, you get your hour and then, you know, you get to come back to it. You know, but hopefully at the end of your hour, you're, you know, at a good place with it. You've done some work and, you know, you're just a little bit healthier. Okay. So in the last five years, has there been a painting that you've worked on that has made you cry? Yes. Is it all right if I ask why? It was a piece that I did and it, it was, again, where the paint was sort of directing where it would go and... When I stood back from the figure, all I saw was my little sister. And my little sister committed suicide five years ago. And it was, it, I couldn't, I, I deliberately never, you know, painted anybody that close to me. I don't typically name paintings after, you know, my children or my sisters or anything. But um, this one, there was just no, no disputing it. It was it was Tanya. And it, it, it was, it was a very sad sort of, it was, it was just strange how, 
profound that was. And my immediate reaction, besides crying, was that I had to make this happy. And so I put red boots on her. And I, I just called the piece Tanya. And then in parentheses, can't be sad with red boots on. Fascinating. Yeah, that was a tough one. I, I like your resolution to that. But I'm fascinated by the fact that it wasn't even your intention to paint anyone specific. It was just kind of happening on its own and you landed there. Exactly. I mean, I paint figures all day long. I, you know, it's just they just come to me and they're fun. And you know, I love painting just just the act, the physical act, the technical act, every bit of it is just healthy for me, you know, Um but sometimes, yeah, I'll step away from one and I'm like, I'll be darned. You know, that's whatever. I did one that I stood back from and I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't plan on that. But I went home and I showed it to my husband. I'm like, what do you see in this painting? And, he, you know, he sees all my paintings. I've done hundreds, you know, and he's like, uh, I don't know. It looks kind of like you, though. I was like, I know, right? <laughs> You know, just totally by accident. But I'm like, yep, that's me. And so that one, I, you know, I couldn't name it Renee. I was, there was no way I was going to do that. But, you know, I, I talked um, a lot over the years about all of the texture having this sort of symbolic meaning, sort of representing all of the scars and the stuff that have shaped the people we've become. And so scars, that came to me. I've got a million scars. And I thought, okay, there's something here. And so I named the piece Scarsdale because I couldn't name it something, you know, icky. But I was like, yeah, that fits. That works, you know. Um, so it's just fun to play with with words and, and things when I come up with names for the pieces, too. I like that. You, you have just as much fun sort of finding out what this piece is called at any given moment because it's part of the experience to you. Totally. Fascinating. I have never considered that ever, that the, the, the name itself would go into the process. I usually just assumed that it was more a matter of being able to identify it in the middle of a conversation than it is about giving the name meaning, but you're actually attributing a meaning, a purpose to the name as much as the work has itself. Oh, yeah. Naming the works are, it's a really important part of the process for me. Fascinating. Because I see that the, uh, there's many, a lot of them just have like people names. They're all people names. I mean, the vast mm -hmm. majority are just someone's name. Right. And these are people that exist within, like you, I like the description you used earlier, which was that it's sort of a fantasy world. And these mm -hmm. are all the inhabitants of that world. Now, they're like my family. They're my, my soul sisters, you know? Because they're all some piece of you one way or another. Totally. Have you ever sold a piece that you got closure for whatever was on that painting, and you, but you know that what's painted there is somebody particularly scarred and hurt, and you know that, for example, the lines there are lines of hurt and of pain and of literal scars and of bruising and of uh, physical harm or something along those lines, but you sort of don't mention it beyond your awareness of it. What is your take on somebody else's perception of your art? Well, that's the beauty of art is, you know, when, 
when you encounter a piece of art that stops you in your track and you sink into it, it it's it, it's a, it's just a wonderful experience. And that's the hope that I have is that um, when somebody encounters my work, that happens. And in that moment, the reason that that happens is because they see a little bit of themselves in there. They are connecting it to an experience that they had, or it reminds them of their mother or their sister or their daughter or, you know, whatever it is, but it's powerful. And that it's, it's like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, it gave me such a gift in its creation. And then it now takes on a whole new story. So I always stop short with telling too much about what uh, goes into a specific piece. You know, like some people really want to know what were you thinking about when you did this? And, you know, I have to tread lightly, because I think that can really damage the piece. Because, you know, it, it really, that's what art is. It, it is what you want it to be. It is what you see in it as the um, viewer, as the collector. See, you know, I like there's that. There's a reason why you want a piece of art. And, you know, it, it's, you know, people invest in art and that's all fine and good. But people who want my art want it for a very specific reason. They you know, might follow my work um, wherever they see it or whatever. But when the right piece comes, it's it's the right piece because they see themselves in it. There's something there that is powerful enough that they have to have it. I like that. I respect that. You you value the mystery behind the art and you want people to sort of solve for themselves. Totally. Is there art that is not your own art that you have this sort of same extreme need to dissect the mystery of the way you would like your art to be dissected? What's like your favorite artist? Renee Magritte. Magritte? Yeah. Son of Man. Probably my favorite painting of all time. Fascinating. Why? What, what, what about this piece appeals to you so vastly? He's there and he's not there. And... There's just so much mystery to it. And um, I don't really know. I just, there was something about it since I was a kid that I just captivated me. And, you know, I think over the years, the more I learned about, uh, you know, Magritte and his life and things like that, I think I connected all the more. But um, I just, I just loved that. I, I love his ideas of um, uh, just being that are there and not there at the same time and things being where they shouldn't be, um, all of that, you know, all of those kinds of elements are so intriguing to me. So I don't know. It's, that's just, it's been my favorite piece since I was a kid. I'm so like caught by what's happening in here. It's such a small detail that throws us into a spin. I think that's definitely the most fascinating part about this. Like it's simple. It's basic. It's minimalistic. It's just a person. And then there is this one obstruction 
one, but it's so prominent, so present, because it's right there in your face, in his face. I think, see, this is kind of my favorite style of art, though, uh, when it's the little details that spin it all out of control, you know? So that's his self-portrait. His self-portrait is him obstructing himself from view. Yep. Oh my god, you've given me way too much information. Now I'm <laughs> now I have rabbit holes to go down. See, this actually reminds me a lot of uh, Salvador Dali. He he was very into weird things like this to kind of pull your attention to a specific place. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I I like um what was the name of that painting? The Persistence. Is that the right one? By Dali. Yeah, with the melting clocks. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Persistence of memory. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that's a great one. The yeah, what what I love about this painting is sort of the same idea as this portrait you just showed me, which is it's just clocks and then the obstruction is where he wants yes, there's this sort of chaos happening in the world surrounding the clocks, but also the point isn't any of that. It's how time is responsible for that. Or I guess that would be the case. I'm not really sure. I'm over here claiming things I don't know for a fact. But that's sort of where it drags my attention to, which comes back to the self-portrait, which goes to say what is even identity. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, identity plays a, a big part in your paintings? Oh, for sure. Do you think your uh, paintings have a, a sense of morality to them? Like some of them are... Okay, this question's about to be really absurdly abstract, and tell me if I lose you anywhere. But when I, for example, I write a line, right? I don't necessarily think someone else will see anything good or bad with the line, but certain combinations of words for me have almost an emotional impact that I'm very aware I'm the only one feeling. But like, I don't like certain combinations of words together, and I I sort of get a negative feeling from them or certain combinations of words together. Even if somebody else might be like, this is horrible. Why would you even write something like that? I find either really amusing or very happy. And it's very subjective, but there's sort of a morality to the words themselves. Do you ever feel that about your paintings? Like there's like, you look at one and you're like that, even if I like the painting, that's the evil one. <laughs> no, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't happen to me at all. No, I guess I'm. No. <laughs> I guess I'm particularly <laughs> weird when it comes to that. I, I do. I don't, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that feeling at all with what I do. No, because I I find it really weird. Like I now I I usually try to pose these weird questions to um uh, artists and creators of all types because. The weird things we feel relative to the things we create tends to vary so widely. And, like, some people exclusively paint things that they hate. And I (laughs) find that fascinating. Like, you only paint things you hate, but they sort of come up with the same story you have. Which is, if it's on the painting, then it's no longer inside of me. And I find that just as beautiful as... You getting closure from your painting. You're you're having a therapy session. They're expelling demons. Well, I'd say I'm expelling demons, but you know, I don't I don't feel any morality issues. Like you, uh, you love your demons at the end of it. I do. 
You see, I find I find that beautiful. That's a very that's legitimately the first time I've heard uh, uh, that way of breaking it down. Because I've more frequently than not heard of the sort of trying to. I guess it is getting closure, but they don't like what necessarily ended up on the painting. It was just a necessity to get rid of it. And I would, I guess, I would say I I do the same with words. I exercise my thoughts with what I write and I don't necessarily like what I write but it's necessary to get it out if that makes sense like, I don't know some some days are more challenging than others I suppose but I, I, I just generally like what I do and feel feel good when I'm done with work do you suffer the uh now this is a way more general uh thing here I guess where as a creator, a lot of the time, I'm not sure if this applies to you, because there's, there's been a few instances when I've heard the, no, I like all of it regardless, but where you do something, you look back at work you did maybe five, ten years ago, and with the experience that you've learned, all the skills that you've learned, you look back and you're like, wow, all of that is garbage. Oh, yeah, I suppose I do that, but not too much. I, I think everything's just an evolution, so I, I don't really get too caught up in that kind of thinking with what I do. You see, you're so free. You're so free. <laughs> you... Well, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't, I, there's no, there's no upside to getting caught up in that kind of thinking, right? You just, just, you, okay, you know, that's done. Now you move on. You do something else. I, I would agree but I have to completely disagree with that. But I think it's because specifically the nature of what I do, I, I love to spot the problem, have an emotional reaction to the problem, then have a meta address to the problem. Hmm. So it would be like, yeah. if, if I were to convert that into paint, into painting, right, it would be like I make a painting. I don't look I like it somewhere. I don't look at it for 10 years. I look back in 10 years after I've developed a bunch of skill. Then I see all the problems. I, I fixate intentionally. I will like spot the smallest thing that I would normally brush off at any other moment. But you know what? It's my time to come and obsess over this. I'll go over to it. I'll consume it and like start to nitpick it more and more until I see a billion problems. Then I'll let that emotion be the cause of whatever the new painting is so that it's sort of a painting based on a painting, even if it's not the same painting. <laughs> well, I, I can honestly say I've never had an experience like that. If anything, I think I've looked back at things I've done before and thought, wow, I was pretty good. I should, I should do that some more. <laughs> like, how did I do that? <laughs> See, that's that's happened to me as well. I I think both are very valuable. Sometimes I look back and I'm, I actually get frustrated with past me sometimes because I'm like, how the hell did I even do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of happy accidents with art. There's that's for sure, and you know, those are those are really fun and not necessarily duplicatable. <laughs> But yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I just never really dwell in any negative spaces. I just, I, that's not what I do at all. You're a collectively happy person. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> 
See, I'm totally opposite. I am a particularly like I've seen as energetic, as upbeat as I seem. The the crap that happens inside my mind is so convoluted and twisted, almost intentionally. Like I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to. I can't. I, I could. I would try. Like I could definitely try to do happy things, but I'll feel they're fake to me. Like I enjoy hanging out in sort of the darker head spaces i i like what's in there and pulling it out and like looking at it and dissecting it and turning it into a thing and then liking the thing or hating the thing so much as long as i think this is where i stand in opposition to you i need to have a reaction whether happy about it whether angry at it, whether disgusted by it, whether it makes me sad, want to cry or scream or go out and hit somebody, whatever reaction it gives me, so long as I have a reaction, I think I'm on the right track. I would agree with that completely. And I, you know, I, I would, I, I would love to be characterized as a happy person, but I honestly don't know that that's what I am. I think I'm an inherently positive person and a very tenacious person. But um, what I am more often than not is a very depressed person. And that comes through a lot in what I do. And, um, you know, and, and that's what I'm doing is I'm dissecting that and that comes through in the work. And, you know, when it ends in a place that's, you know, some of them, so I'm looking at some of my paintings right now, and I'm just looking at this one and it's super moody, you know, it's, it's not a sad piece. It's not an angry piece. I'm not provocative in those ways with my work, but you know, the moodiness comes through and, um, I think that's pretty cool. And uh, the, the piece, so this is a specific piece that's in front of you at this very moment. Mm-hmm. What, uh, this, what, what do you think makes it moody without describing the piece itself? Like what, what energy about it? Like if you were to sort of put into words the thought that it's giving you that makes you feel it's moody? Um, there's almost a shadow over her face. Um, you know, there's a darkness to one side of the figure and it's fading into the background a bit more than some other pieces, perhaps. And I don't know. It just That's just how that one hits me. There's another one here. These are all little little paintings that I have in one spot. And this one is like, you know, confident and thoughtful. And yeah, then this one's got some attitude. <laughs> so, you know, they're just fun. See, I like this a lot. I like this a lot. This is... Do you ever sit down and... Do you like writing? I love writing. That's what I did before I painted. What kinds of uh, things do you write? You write short stories, poetry? What do you, what do, you do? I used to write poems, um, and I would write a lot of, um, oh, it, it was mostly poems when I was really young. Nowadays, I, I don't really write poems, but I will write about the pieces, you know, about, you know, so we talked before about what fuels a piece or what's the story behind a piece. And sometimes I will feel compelled to tell the story. So, so those are really neat ways of writing still. And I like doing that. Do you 
when you write, uh, do you write it as a sort of essay, sort of talking about the painting directly, or do you put yourself in the perspective of the character that you were writing about? Um, I write as myself talking about the piece. Interesting. Do you ever uh, talk? So you talk about the piece as a painting itself. You're not addressing the sort of world that it's happening in, but rather the objective information you get from the painting. Gosh, I don't know. I I, I haven't really thought about it that in a while. Um, it's interesting because I, I I haven't done it as much lately as I have in the past. It's a really good point. I probably need to do that. See, I, I think I wouldn't be able to help myself. Now, let me clear the air here. I'm a total narcissist, so everything I do is about <laughs> me. And, uh, you know, it's the world revolves around me. It's just how it works or whatever crap I tell myself to make things function in my reality. These characters would be put into... This is me in your shoes, right? These characters would be put into... A world. I like what you said before that they kind of exist in their in. The, the, it's a shared universe essentially. They're all characters within your world. I would literally just give them an entire story. They'd have a house in the neighborhood. They're this person in that location doing that or whatever. But only after the painting painted itself, so that it's almost like a lie. If that makes sense. Like the, this is totally not what I got from the painting when I was doing it. But now this is where I'm putting them. Oh, well, that's something I do a lot. I do that very frequently because oftentimes, you know, by the time a painting is done, it's even to me become something other than what may have fueled it. And so it has a whole different story to me. And I love doing that. That's really fun. So you do have that uh, inner writer. Do you, uh, it's, it's, the problem is that with art, all of it, all of it. And I'm talking all the ranges, starting all the way at uh, a pencil, going through brushes, getting to keyboards, touching music, uh, sculptures. We're talking philosophy when somebody just manages to compose a really interesting thought. And you're like, wow, this is and it. You know, I, I think out of all the arts, by the way. And I know most people don't consider philosophy art per se, but I think the ability to craft an idea that you can give somebody else and it means some whole other thing to them is the same as making a painting or writing a poem or something where it's kind of left up to interpretation. Totally. If you, what's, what's your favorite kind of um, art that isn't painting other, other than writing? Oh, well, I suppose it would be music, but I would, I I wish I was a musician. I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm super into music. Well, uh, do you know how to play any instruments? No, not at all. Have you ever tried? I tried for a very, very short time. <laughs> Why didn't you stick to it? Because it made my fingers hurt to play the guitar. And the guitar is your favorite instrument? Oh, I don't know. No, my favorite instrument was um, a xylophone. A xylophone. What a strange instrument to have as a favorite. <laughs> well, that's what I was told when I was in Chicago public schools and we had to pick an instrument to play and that was what I wanted and they laughed me out of the room and gave me a viola. What the hell? Why couldn't they just give you the xylophone? No, they didn't have one. It was Chicago public school. Oh, it's bad like that? Yeah. So, um, so no violas were to be had. Or uh, no xylophone, so I, they gave me a viola, and I hated it, hated it. And how funny is this? My my son plays viola. His choice. 
Like, you've got to be kidding me. I guess it's, uh, you know, the universe doesn't <laughs> miss a moment for irony. So funny. I wonder That's... if I ever told him about that. I might have. But yeah, all I ever wanted to play was the xylophone. I did have a set of congas for a while, and I took lessons, and those were fun. I was pretty decent on those, I suppose. I like what you just said there, and I don't know if you've ever noticed the connection between the fact that you learned how to play congas and had fun with that, and you're a painter, but those are two of the most physical things you could possibly do when it comes to an art medium. Hmm. Because painting is very specifically your type of painting. There's the painting where you're just going at it with a brush and there's some sort of detachment between your hand and the bristles of a brush going on to the painting itself. There's sort of, you don't have as much vibration. You don't have as, uh, there's not as much feedback in your motions as much as there is with your style. You're going at it with solid on solid and any stroke you have vibrations if you touch the canvas itself you feel that the same way you would when you're touching it well i mean not the same way but you get my point that it's kind of like a very physical activity as compared to any other style of painting and then congas are also a very physical instrument do you interesting you listen to music a lot are you a tv kind of person um well i never had a tv before i met my husband so um my first answer would be no, but I've become kind of a TV person, I guess. How long were you without a TV? Oh, boy. I probably most of my 20s. Interesting. It was just not, not interesting to you at all, right? Yeah. Like all of my 20s, I didn't care about a TV at all. So you, you never were you a theaters person, even if you weren't a TV person? Uh, I could never afford theaters back then, but, um, no, I, I liked painting. I just, I would put on music and paint. So this has been your like life a hundred percent. You've just this, this is what I do. Totally. Who's your favorite musician? Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. Cause there are just too many. Isn't that the problem, many. right? Who, okay. Fair enough. Who would you put right now? As like, who's your current most exciting thing that you, you you haven't worn out, you haven't heard a billion times that you would just like put right now if you were to paint this very moment? I hate being put on the spot like that. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I would probably just put on like Radiohead or Pink Floyd or The Smiths or something like that. Um, I don't get sick of them. I also don't get sick of the Eagles. I never do. Um <laughs> I don't know. I create. I do playlists on uh, Sonos now um, through Spotify, and so I'll just put in like a song. Um, who did I play today? So today I put in a song called "Breathe" by Telepop Music. Right. Um, another favorite favorite band is um, totally underrated, but Warpaint. Warpaint. Never get sick of them. Never Their songs them. are amazing, and. I don't know. I have a long list, but I, I just I just like so many different things. No, I find that I like I like a lot that you said at Radiohead. One, because obviously legends like who are we kidding? Who who's messing with Tom York? But uh Right. Based on uh Again, this is one of those moments where I'm sort of I try to make connections between different kinds of arts because of uh as a creator, uh what you 
consume sort of influences what you put out to some degree or what you put out influences what you'd like to consume. And uh, if there is any musician that exists whose music is a painting, it would be the the compositions of Tom York, right? Mm -hmm. Like he makes what is in specifically after well, the first three albums when he got to a uh, kid a when kid mm -hmm. a when that album happened in radiohead he entered the zone of i am free and when he got to the i'm free phase of his life that hasn't ended he's just like spiraled further and further into that freedom zone he developed a sort of painting style way of making music in which the sound itself is more important than even the words in the music. Like he's telling you a story through how the music moves. Totally. And I like that a lot. Have you ever heard their uh, most recent album, Moon Shaped Something? I forget the name of that. I'm certain I have. Um, I put them on all the time. I also like Andrew Bird, speaking of people who play with sound and what it all means. Andrew Bird. I, uh, that name sounds so familiar. He is amazing. Andrew Bird. What kind of music does he do? It's like, you know, rock, I guess. But just uh, he's got a very unique approach. I like that. I like people who, uh, who are free with what they do. Now, okay. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. I've literally asked this question to everyone who I've ever had here for any reason, whether it be scholars, artists, whether it just be wanderers. I got a lot of those in here as well. Do you think your personality comes across opposite to your art? <laughs> um, probably. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Isn't that fascinating how that happens, though? It really is. But that's kind of like what I was saying earlier about this being like my fantasy world. You know, in a perfectly world, in a perfect world, I would be, you know, wearing dresses and being girly and fancy and frolicking about, <laughs> you know, other pretty girls or something, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's a fantasy world for sure. And, and it works totally opposite from your personality. You, you, you would consider yourself uh, an introvert, right? Very much so. But you'd consider the characters in your art and even the art itself to be extroverted. Somewhat. I, I don't know about that. I, I think... I think the figures convey different things. Um, you know, some are definitely more poised and elegant and some are silly and funny and fun and some are, um, you know, ghostly and weird. And, you know, there's just, they all have different stuff. When you are thinking, right, do you think in words or do you think in pictures? Oh, I generally think in pictures. And words are only when necessary. Yeah, I think so. I don't know that I've really given that much thought, but I would. I, I think I just, yeah, visualize things. Fascinating. When you think in words, do you hear a voice or do you see words? I see them. Fascinating. I like that. Why do you think that is? So you, you'd sooner see the words than hear the voice. I think so. I think so. I, I don't know why that is. I think, you know, there are... Uh, I, I mean, my understanding of this is there are three types of people. There's audio, visual, or, you know, kinesthetic or whatever. I, I think I'm definitely a visual person. 
Yeah, I think a, a large number of people kind of function off of that little voice in their head where it's just always commenting. Yeah. I'd say uh, uh, myself, I, I, I'm i not sure where I land on that. I don't think I'm I, audio or visual. What was the other one you said? Kinesthetic? What does that mean? Um, learning by touch, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. No, definitely not that. I've been actually considering <laughs> how, like, because there's so many different ways in which we think. Like, we're really limited to the ability we have to convey using words that have already already been created. So it's Mm -hmm. so much more difficult to express what's happening in the confines of a space only we have access to inside of our heads. So I find it very interesting that we all have sort of, we land on the same things, but what are the odds that we're all really thinking the same, you know? Yeah, the odds are not good. The odds are not good by any means. <laughs> it's sort of the, the the argument where you try to prove if we see the same color, but like even if what you see is blue and it's my green, I learned to call that green blue. Right. It's like, how how would we ever prove this argument? I guess the same thing applies to how we think. If you weren't a painter and you had to sort of... Like if painting blinked out of existence, right? Right now, like there's no more painting. What would be the first thing you do? Hmm. Well, I, I, I sculpt. I, I do that already. Um, so I would probably be a sculptor. You'd just commit fully to that and just keep doing it. You stick to the artistic world at by all means. Totally. Why painting over sculpting? It's my first love. It's the you know, immediate gratification of changing a white surface to something with color and texture and movement and meaning. Um, sculpture takes more time. Uh, it's, it's, it's more, I don't know, definite. You can't really, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I, I love sculpture for what it is. I just really love color and love paint. So paint is that that's your true love. Mm-hmm. Is there a size of painting you like the most? Um, probably, I think my, well, I've, I've already said it out loud, so I should just stick with it. Um, 60 by 54 seems to be my favorite size. So you like going big. I do. Well, why, why, why is that what's preferred? You like sort of the spaciousness of it? I think because it's figurative and it, it's a reasonable, almost realistic scale. I see, which kind of works with the type of art you're doing, which is these uh, figures of people. You like to bring yeah. it into an actual size that is that of people. It's it's so interesting to me because it's, it's reality and it's not. Like I said before, there's some psychedelic nature to what you do. And it's somewhere between real and abstract, all at the same time. It's, I guess, surreal. Surreal, it's psychedelic, it's um, definitely emotional. I think that's the craziest part. But I think that's what makes it psychedelic, you know? Do you associate with many artists? Um, yeah, I think I do. Like you hang out with them, you talk to them regularly, or are you like a, a strict loner? <laughs> I'm definitely more loner than anything, but I, yeah, I definitely have some great friends who are artists. Have you, for do, a living. do like, you like do. to yeah. do, um, have you ever done, in the past, I know you worked on projects that were uh, collaborative, but do you still do any kind of collaborative work with anyone? No, but I've been talking with a friend of mine about doing uh, some sculptures together. 
Interesting. What do you what do you get out of the sculptures? Does it provide the same thing you get from paint? It can't be, right? No, it's a different sort of tactile experience. You know, your hands really get into the work and it's just the physicality of, of you know, molding something to a shape. And um, that's that's just very different from painting. And I like that. It sort of it came about because I um, was sort of blocked with painting at one time. And I um, yeah, I can't stop. So you know, if I can't paint, what am I going to do? And so, um, at one point I, I created a body of work with, um, India inks on paper. And another time I started creating a body of work of, uh, gilded figures on handmade paper. And another time it was sculpture and, um, yeah. So, and all of these bodies of work are still around and things that I still do and, um, enjoy. Yeah, so it's good to have diversity. So I I guess the best way to put that is that it's sort of that uh, you can't bottle something up. And when you are feeling bottled up, no matter what, what do they say? If you keep something bottled up, it's going to come out somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened there. You couldn't paint, so a sculpture happened. Right. That's interesting. I, I wonder what that is about humans, you know? Like, we, we don't have the ability to really suppress. We pretend we do. We all like to lie to ourselves and tell ourselves, oh, yeah, I can keep this in. But then we end up having, like, a mental breakdown in public somewhere freaking out. And then we realize, oh, well, it had to come out. And it's like, we kind of knew that. Why are we pretending we're going to suppress anything? But luckily, you, you've you already mastered the channel whatever you're feeling to art, which is something, I guess, tragically, a lot of people don't do. They They become explosive and emotional in the real world. And sort of have real actions and repercussions to the things they do instead of finding a way to channel it and make something out of it, you know? I think that's the the frustration I have with everyday society, that we sort of value those freak out moments. We put that on TV. See, this is actually my, I'm not a TV person either. I'm I'm with you on that field. And my problem is sort of the, uh, the glorification of behavior that I would call nearly psychotic. Like, why are we okay with sort of make normalizing bad behavior if that makes sense like i like again i like bad things i like the energy behind it but i don't want people to literally do these things but i know you've probably heard about jersey shore for example right uh no what's that like a tv show yeah it's like a terrible tv show with a bunch of like people on the jersey shore just getting drunk and beating the crap out of it. it's a reality tv show Oh, like housewives and stuff like that or something? Yes. No, I would never watch something like that. Oh my God. Thank you. See, that's because I, God, I hate things like that so much. Yeah. No, I would never even, I would never watch something like that. (laughs) I'm glad you wouldn't. (laughs) I couldn't be more, less interested or more disgusted. (laughs) Yeah. No, don't worry. You're definitely preserving brain cells and avoiding that. Yeah. But interesting question. I uh, totally just thought about it in in my whine about it right there, where I just kind of said, "God." But do you do you believe in God? Um, I believe in yeah. I believe in God. I might what I consider God to be might be different from most people, but yes, I do, and I pray to God, and I go to church, and um, but more than anything, I consider myself sort of a contemporary Buddhist. Interesting. I like that a lot. So the church you go to is more about having a space that provides the energy 
for a god versus the literal god you believe in being that of the church. Yeah, yeah. it's they're completely, you know, non-denominational. They're Christian based and you know, sometimes they get a little into like Jesus stuff and I get a little put off, but I just like the community and I like that they are generally so open minded and, um, you know, like they have like, uh, you know, special things where they have groups talking about the Bhagavad Gita, you know, or they'll have the, um, professor of Islamic studies from the local college come and do the sermon or whatever for that day, you know, so it's like you get, they're super open to everybody and they'll, you know, they, it, you get a little taste of a lot of different things there. And so I really, I love that. That was, um, you know, when I, I was homeless as a teen and, and one of the places that I would go is churches and I didn't believe in any God at the time. And I just, but, but churches were a safe place and I was curious and I wanted to, I wanted a place where I fit you know, and I tried so many different religious institutions. And um, I don't know, I think there's great value to that. Just, you know, trying them all out and seeing where you feel like you belong. And um, that's that worked for me. So I I found a church here in uh, where I live that sort of embodies that, you know, they, they take all religions into consideration and it's just this mixture. Everybody that goes there is, you know, completely from different places. And I love it. I just love it. I like that. So you, you'd consider yourself more of a, more spiritual than anything. Yes. Interesting. Now, as for God, uh, what, what line of Buddhism do you follow? Uh, probably Zen Buddhism, Buddhism more than anything, I suppose. But it's it's more of a personal philosophy that is, I think, aligned with Buddhism. I, I just tend to operate with the idea of doing good and being good, you know, and that th those two statements kind of encompass everything about how I want to be in this world. Do you believe there is an inherent good in the universe? Hmm. An inherent good? Yeah. Like I there's an know. objective good that you could stand back and say that's good, but because it's good, not because I've been programmed to think it's good, but like that's universally good no matter what. No, I don't really, I don't think so. So you think it's all subjective for the most part? Yeah, I think so. You're familiar with the trolley experiment? No. You're not familiar? Okay. So there's a, I'll pose, it's a, it's a thought experiment in which there is a train on a railroad. There, the railroad forks off, and there are five people tied onto the railroad in the path of the railroad, of the trolley. The trolley is headed for five people. And mm -hmm. there is a lever that moves the train to the other lane where it would continue, and there's only one person tied up. Now, the train is already <laughs> headed for where there are five people, but you can divert the train to go to where there's only one person. Now, those five people without your involvement would theoretically die, but the other person who was going to survive would die if you diverted the train, but you would have saved the other five people. Would you okay. then involve yourself and pull the lever? <laughs> um, would I pull the lever? Yes, to divert the train uh, to the one individual. As opposed to five. 
No, I I don't think I would. I don't think I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, do I have to? You don't have to do, do anything. To do anything? No, you could stand back and watch five people get run over. Hmm. I mean, all I can think when you're saying that is I would try everything I could to figure out how to stop it. No, that train isn't stopping. You, your only, your one and only move <laughs> is pull that lever or leave it alone. Well, I couldn't kill five people. But you're not I killing don't anybody. Kill one though, either. Yeah, I would. It, I would totally take ownership of that. What? Why would you take ownership of it? It was going to happen regardless of whether you were involved or not. Yeah, but if I did, if I took any action pulling that lever. Oh, yeah, of course. That, that, I guess that's really where you're involved. So if you don't right. pull the lever, you're not involved. Those other five people getting run over has nothing to do with you. That was going to happen had you not been present. Yeah. I don't like this game. <laughs> I'm sorry. It got very dark, didn't it? But yeah, that's that experiment it, it brings into question as to whether our actions are good or bad and whether there is an inherent good. Because we, we look at the involvement of the individual and we say the that us observing it and not being involved is that inherently bad if we could have lessened the evil. But then the question is that that individual who wasn't going to be harmed is now harmed because of us. Does that make the action of our involvement the bad action now because we endangered somebody who was by any other instance perfectly safe and fine? And that's why I like that experiment. It really puts into question whether there is good, whether there is bad, if there's an objective good or bad, if there is a subjective good or bad. If it's all made up, it could just be in our heads. Or, or if cold, hard numbers matter more than emotions, because we could just weigh the odds and say, you know, save four as opposed to lose five or something like that. Those cold, hard calculations. It really leaves the question to where we stand with good, bad and morality as a whole. Yeah, I would. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that stuff, except I just life is hard. And all I want to do is just do my best and be good, be kind, and be decent, live with integrity, you know? Yes, I, I fully understand that's all, that. That's all I can do. It's the only thing I can do. Other than that, you know, it's all these terrible things happen around me. I, I just, I can only control so much. If you could affect more, would you really want to, though? If it's a choice between killing five people and killing one person. Oh, no, no, no. Let's leave that one behind. But in general, like, if you could make everyone in the world happy, right? All in one shot. Would would you want to take away the ups and downs of life experience and give everybody joy in one shot? No. So you'd more than anything just enjoy sort of... Not necessarily enjoy. I guess that's a, the wrong word, but... It makes sense to kind of just l let things be and r run your own path, right? I think so. And, you know, but I, I do hope to make a difference. And, you know, like through my work, just um, to me, it's really important. Like what I said, that anybody can look at my work and find a way to connect to it and thusly see themselves as more than all of the yucky stuff that has shaped them, you know, that the message here is that we all have something to bring to the table. There's, there's beauty within every one of us. And, you know, that, that I think is, is something that is important 
to to convey. I, I like that. You like to. You don't want there to not be happiness, but you want to be part of or the reason for some of the up in life instead of the down. Yeah, I suppose so. Because this is this is what's fascinating about this, right? If you could cure sadness, then it'd be harder to appreciate your art. Isn't that tragic? Yeah, well, that's that's the reality. You need the downs to appreciate the ups for sure. Yeah, that's but, um, so complicated. I just feel like a lot of people, you know, don't get the message that they have value and worth and beauty. And, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of my mission to just put that out there that, you know, they, they do. You love humanity. We do. See, that's noble. I like that. You, you look for the good in everybody, regardless of the case. I try. So then you're definitely a believer that even the darkest of dark have good inside. Now, my question would be the contrast. You believe that even the best of best have evil within. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I guess it's a, really not even much of a question, right? <laughs> Some more than others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tragically, Generally, we live in a... People who are too nice kind of freak me out. So there's usually some deep, dark stuff in there that I want to get far away from. See, this is... I One, not only do I fully agree, but two, this is the beef I have with Bob Ross. Do you know who Bob Ross is? Bob Ross? <laughs> okay, what's your issue with him? That's my very argument with this man. There's no way you're that happy and there's not a body in the closet right next to you. There's no way. I refuse to believe <laughs> that if I opened your closet, there's not a body there. Yeah. Ironically, I didn't know this beforehand, but I came up with this theory that he's probably painting the places where he hid the bodies and just like hiding it in those locations and then coming and painting those places, pretending that it was a happy little accident. I mean, maybe he killed them on a happy little accident and then he hid them where he's painting it, but whatever. The point being, upon doing research on Bob Ross, I didn't know he was a particularly high-ranking ex-military officer that probably actually killed a couple of people. Yeah, I was. That's interesting. Yeah, I was blown away. And his tours were so widespread that it's completely possible he's painting the real location where the body's hidden. And I just said that as a joke one day before I did the research and found out, oh, crap, no, he's been to pretty much every place he's painted. So, yeah, that made, uh, that made it too real. And now I'm concerned that uh, <laughs> who knows what's out there under his name. Yeah. If you... As, as we're running out of time here, if you had to tell any artist, anyone who's trying to get into art, right? Somebody who's struggling and feels discouraged and uh, like the xylophone is being laughed out of their situation and they want the thing, but they can't find the motivation to do the thing. What would you tell them to try to keep them where they're, where they're going before they lose sight of it? Well, um, I, th I just think it's really important to connect to what you're doing and find a way to do that. So, you know, I think meditating is, is a really important part of my life. And, you know, there, there's little meditations before I work on any piece that I do. And it's, it's, it's a way of bringing my energy into focus. And that helps me a lot. And then, you know, just generally, you know, career wise, 
I think the most important lesson I've ever learned is that whatever your situation is with with what you're trying to do, you need to convey everything in a positive way. I think that humans in general feed off of positivity. They want to run from negativity. So I think that that would be the number one thing that I would put out there is that, you know, you need to find a way to spin all of your uh, experiences, good, bad, and otherwise into something positive. So, you know, for example, you know, for me, every failure that I've had, every no that I've been, you know, given along the way hasn't been a, you know, a tragedy. It has been a way for me to grow. Um, you know, and maybe that's my tenacious kind of nature, but I think it's really important to take all of these experiences and find, find the good or find the lesson, find the, um, whatever, there is within it that's going to propel you. So if I have a show and two people show up and nothing sells, the next day I'm hanging out with my friend. My friend says, hey, sorry, I couldn't make it last night. How was your show? How do I answer? Do I say, oh, it sucked. Two people came, nothing sold. And yeah, you know, or do I say, it was great. It was curated beautifully. The lighting was exceptional. Some people came and I loved talking with them. And I feel really energized for what's next. There's a whole different sort of um, reaction that you're going to get from that. And, you know, that's, that's also really good inner talk, you know, because the fact is, those two people that came, I did enjoy talking with them. And they are people who didn't see my work before. You know what I mean? So there, there's something good there. And so that was a lesson that I learned a long, long time ago. And it's something that I 100% have brought into my, my life and my practice. And I think that that's very much why I've had any amount of success along the way, because I don't take the negatives as, um, you know, the, 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 the end of my existence, any negatives or failures along the way have really, truly taught me very important lessons. That is perspectivism as it, at, at its finest, isn't it? It's sort of trying to alter your own perception by focusing on the good and thus making yourself happier because you're finding the good instead of the bad and then in return you're more motivated to go forward and just sort of create a loop it's a feedback loop of positivity that you're talking about yeah but it's real it's not contrived you know it's all you know how you talk to yourself it's active it's it's sort of active meditation you're present you're present Mm -hmm. for the positive and although the negative is there you don't let it be the focus or the dominant force in any situation yeah i respect that very much um so we're pretty much out of time here let everybody know where they could find you uh the socials uh websites any any place you want them to find you your art anything you do in general places they could get in contact with if if they'd like to and uh yeah uh, sure. So on Instagram, it's Renee Romero Schuler. Uh, Renee just has one E. It's a little tricky. It's R-E-N-E-R-O-M-E-R-O-S-C-H-U-L-E-R. And um, 
I also have another profile on Instagram. It's called Shop Lady in the Dress. And that's all the commerce stuff. So anything like books that have been published or puzzles, um, some neat gift things, all inspired by my work. So those are pretty cool. And then my website is com. Fascinating. Now, I, I thank you so much for doing this. I really wanted to sort of dive into your head and sort of get some understanding about the artist behind the work. Cause I've been like spying on your work for quite some time. I'm definitely a fan. I've been looking at it. I've been looking at what you do. I've been watching your sort of, uh, your fast loop things where you short, uh, sort of showed the process that you're going through in order to make a painting. I like watching that a lot. I like the one thing we don't get through any of it is sort of a look into your head, which is the part that I'm most fascinated by, because as creators, we are weird people. They're the strangest humans <laughs> out there. Yeah. The things that make us tick are uh, <laughs> strange is the light word, but it's sort of way more complicated than that. We're abstract thinkers. We're weird individuals. I've never met a creator that's just a flat boring person with nothing to say with no motivations like it's not a thing if you're making something something is propelling that and i and i like that you shared that with us and i i appreciate very much you doing this i know i took you away from your your busy days of creating a master freaking pieces of complicated art that for all intents and purposes is unreplicatable because of your approach to it. And that is something to applaud. Like you are a creator of in the elite category. You definitely created your own sort of bubble of work that stands on its own and needs no, no comment to be its own amazing work. And I like very much that you do what you do. You bring joy to the world. And I hope you continue doing that until the day you drop. That is my hope. Um, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate you being here. And thank you for sharing your mind with me. I very much appreciate uh, giving us a look into your head. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you. I'm glad you did. I am very aware that I don't shut the hell up and sometimes that gets annoying. So I, um, <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't get too annoyed in the process. Not at all. Not at all. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Bye-bye. Bye. So what do you think? I like of her art or the conversation. The conversation is great, of course. <laughs> but of her art, I like the structures that she does, the weird abstract. But it's something, it's obviously like her paintings. What, the sculptures? Yeah. Like it's real. you can see the figure there, but it's also, it's nothing. It's sort of nothing, right? Like it's, it's very abstract. I, I think so. I think there's a clear intention. What it means is unclear. But what's visually there is a combination of shapeless and clear shape. It's definitely from certain angles. You'd be like, what did I, am I looking at what I think I'm looking at? Yeah. Yeah, in a way, it could be a mind trick if you angled the statue in a sort of way, like only through one way you might see the figure and the other way you might see nothing. I wonder if that's the case. I would like I like wonder. a 3D render yeah. of her sculptures. Hopefully one day I can uh, like go and own a literal one of her pieces. This fascinating, fascinating human. And 
I am particularly intrigued by what promoted the evolution of the art, which we've talked about in the past, but having a kid drastically changes your perception of the world. And it's yeah. weird because it wasn't even the child that that did it. That did it. Yeah. Although it was the existence of the child. <laughs> Yeah, it couldn't have happened without the child. Exactly. The child didn't have anything to do with it at the same time. Yeah, it's some... It's just random. ...byproduct of having a child. Mm-hmm. But it led to a particularly profound moment that was the evolution of how she would then think of the work she's doing. Yes. Changed her life. Yes, and she's been doing this her whole life. Mm-hmm. To then be... So drastically altered by random occurrence. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. And then she said for the rest of, like, months' time, all the next pieces, 30-something pieces, she was just... That inspired? Yeah. She was doing that. She was existing in that bubble of work, trying to sort of work through a series of emotions and ideas, doing this one thing. I, I love her love of what she does. Yes. It's obsessive. Mm-hmm. No distractions, just... She just knows this is it. This, this is, is it. it. That's it. Just, There's no question about it. I do I do this. That's, yeah. that's it. If we shouldn't... If only we were all so lucky to have such uh, blinding determination mm-hmm. and a want for the thing so badly to just do that and like say good riddance to everything else. Just no, I want, yes. I want this. I don't care about anything else. Yeah, that's so beautiful. That's so awesome. But in a world filled with nothing but screaming distractions in every possible way, shape, and form, everybody has a reason to say, but I could get to it later and do this other thing now. What is that other thing, though? Garbage. Crap. <laughs> meaningless nothingness. Like you said, Jersey Shore. <laughs> Jersey Shore. <laughs> How many people... That show was popular as hell. How many people yeah. sat down and watched Jersey Shore? And in that same time... You remember that book you wanted to write? No. How many seasons of Jersey Shore are there? You could have definitely have written the book. Instead of wasting it on... Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore, yeah. And that's just a great example of something (laughs) dumb that people waste their time on that could be way more productive. Mm -hmm. And like we began this conversation with, it's important to have the people who have the ability to dedicate themselves to do the thing. Like, I wouldn't have the computer to write the words on if there wasn't somebody who didn't give a crap about having the computer to write the words on just there making the fucking computer that I could write the words on. Renee wouldn't have the brushes, wouldn't have the canvases Mm -hmm. to make her paintings if it wasn't for somebody who doesn't give a crap about the fact that they're making these tools to begin with. Yeah. We need all types of people. We need all types of people. Everything needs... We can't just all exist in creativity or in theoretical thoughts or in... It can't. It can't. It would be lovely, though. But some people don't even like that. So that's also perfect, too, because there are people who are like, I like making these brushes. I don't want to use these brushes, but I like making them. Some people don't even care about liking anything. Yeah. They're like, I come to work. I just do this thing and... I'm yeah. fine with that. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I do a thing. And then I, I love hanging out with my friends. That's the, that's the thing I like to do. Yeah. I do this. So I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. We all have different purposes and yeah. reasons to do things. And that's pretty awesome. That is but... pretty awesome. It's freeing to know that, I guess. Yes. Because 
I struggle being confined to somebody else's rules of what my future should look like. Mm -hmm. I'm notoriously known in my personal life as an individual who cannot... I, I'm, the rules are stupid. People know I feel rules are stupid. Yes. But there's nothing wrong with someone who likes rules. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I guess my real difficulty is making peace with that and sort of existing. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. I have the freedom to do whatever, whenever, however I want. I've crafted that out for myself intentionally. Freedom and thoughts are where I exist. Yes. And that space matters to me. Mm -hmm. But what if I want to have a conversation with somebody who has to be at work nine to five and they have to be totally focused and they have, I just can't communicate with this. They don't exist. Until they're done. Until they're done. Yeah. And I'm frustrated because I'm used to a world that revolves around me. Uh. But no, they revolve around the world that they're involved in until further notice. Yeah. And there's sort of a conflict there where... I would love to have everybody to myself all the time at my command. Mm -hmm. It's also not possible. Not possible yeah. It's not possible. Mm. But also, if everybody I interacted with was like me, that would be too normal and that would be too boring. And it would be just another system of suits minus the suit part. Yeah. We're drones. We're doing all the same shit. We're behaving all the same. Yeah, that's also a huge problem. Yeah, you don't want that. Be the unique one. Yeah, it's so problematic. You can't <laughs> live with them, can't live without it. There's no winning. Yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't type of crap. Mm-hmm. Life is really complicated like that. Yeah. And I find her art to really, really convey some of that, actually. Of? Well, like, before the show, we were talking about uncertainty. And in having a life without rules, I also don't have definite structure and that comes with uncertainty mm -hmm. and i think i like i think that's what attracts me to her art so vastly but you get the uncertainty from her art or yes i think i magnet to the lack of certainty because i see it somewhere i yeah. see what my inside looks like outside somewhere yeah i think oh, that's, that's why i like alex gray Ah. it's there but it's not it's me but it's not it's a body but it's not it's a thought but it's not yes and it's like the uncertainty is visible it's not just theoretical mm -hmm. and i think that's sort of my obsession with words i like to write stories i love to write stories i also write stories in which you as a reader knowing what i write have already become uncertain as to whether a character is making it or not Yes. Because even main <laughs> characters are at my mercy and I have no problem changing the main character halfway through the story just because you didn't see him coming. That's like, awesome. now he's just going to die because <laughs> you didn't see it coming. Well. That level of uncertainty, I'm comfortable with that level of uncertainty. Uh-huh. And I like that. I like that confusion. I like the anxiety that comes with it of almost nervousness of, well, I'm, I became comfortable with the thing. Well, let's break your comfort. Yes. Let's destroy it. What, what, what do you need comfort for? Let's destroy that thing. Then you never live in comfort. <laughs> comfort. What is comfort going to do for me? Mm. I like the chaos. I like the uncertainty. It's anxious and adrenaline driving and... That doesn't get exhausting. I feel like I don't have enough things to waste all my energy on. I guess. Because that sounds like a workout. I <laughs> wish it would like drain my energy. But it's not enough for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's what makes my way of living particularly dangerous. I wish I could just do the one thing. I wish I could dedicate myself fully to one thing. But I need... A million. I need a million things to just destroy what's happening. I gotta get rid of all of it. I can't yeah. just... And I have to I have to hate some of it because I need to feel that. Yeah. I need to feel angry and I need to feel furious. I love poetry for that reason, but I love stories for that reason. I can confuse the reader and confuse myself. I get scared because I don't know when I'm just going to decide this is... It's done. You, you've crossed the line and now you are a character that goes forever. And I'm like, this is one of my favorite characters. I'm like, oh, no. I don't want to do that do to th your own favorite character. Ow. I do that to whoever it needs to be done to. Yeah. The story tells me who's going to die. I just follow orders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and with poetry, I like to mess with words. I like to mess with language. I like to make things that cause, I guess it's up to interpretation because uncertainty. Yes. I think I think the point here is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and a lot of people pretend they know things. And you don't like that? <laughs> I don't like that. I don't... We don't know shit. Yeah. We don't know anything about anything, and we're never going to know crap about anything. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. are the Ozark meme. I know shit about fuck. Love that meme. But yes. nobody does. <laughs> no. But there's definitely people who do think they do think Yes. That. The problem <laughs> is, as a critical thinker myself, I delude myself consistently. Or, or I guess I don't, because I do this consistently, in which I do reassure the uncertainty. So there might be moments where you're like, I know something, but then you I, I, remind I, yourself like, no, no, I'm wrong. About I think that. there <laughs> isn't because I don't allow myself to get there. I think I'm scared oh. of convincing myself I'm sure of something because then I might think that's the right way and stop doing things and just focus on that one thing. You don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want to keep shaking the box and see what all the angles inside of it look like. Hmm. I don't see that way being a bad way, though. I don't think it's a bad way. But you just, you're not interested in that. I think it's chaotic. Yeah. Such an ENTP memes type of thing of just like, I want to start a million projects. Difference is, I start and I don't abandon any of them. Yes, that is the difference between That's, you and the memes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to keep doing all of them. Anything else I can... finish them. I gotta finish them. Anything I can stack on top. Mm -hmm. more and more give me more what if more exhausting make it more all exhausting of it. all of it i want to have all the skills i want to do all the things i'm gonna make music write poems write short stories write novels i'm gonna paint i'm gonna sketch i'm gonna sculpt i'm going to play video games i'm gonna play all the video games all the different types the of video games <laughs> exercise i gotta do all the exercises i gotta play tennis i gotta skate i have to jog i have to all of it all of all it. it all of it yeah. all the energy drain Crazy. me i don't want to be aware of shit just fuck no i don't want anything just drain me yeah and again i i think this is what makes renee particularly astounding that ability to have known so young it's that thing it's yes. that thing how different she is from you yeah i wrote my whole life and only found out in a random moment that holy shit i'm a writer <laughs> like that yeah. happened by accident yeah Wrote That's my crazy. whole life. And then somebody's like, why don't you write? I'm like, I think I've already been doing that. Whoa. Yeah, but you weren't keeping any of them. How dare you? I was keeping them. It's just oh, that okay. one novel thing that I didn't keep. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I kept all of it. Beautiful. All these books of weird, erratic things I did throughout my entire life. Well, you for sure, you're for sure an artist. 
Is that the right word? No, you're something else. There's another word. There you go. I'm a renaissance man. Yes. Renaissance guy. Yeah, you wear a little hat with a, like a feather sticking out of it and very baggy shirt. Is that what they... Oh, my I don't know. God. They were hipsters, right? Like, those are paintings of hipsters. Yeah, with really tight pants, right? Yeah, man, because not everybody was dressed like that. These were just really? the weird, eccentric hipsters. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're that guy. Oh, my gosh, you're a hipster. Oh, my God, I guess I am. <laughs> Whatever. I wish I could do what she does. Renee is artist. I guess I don't. Here's the problem. Like, I you want... don't want that. I don't. I just want to do everything, and that's the problem. Yes. Like, so, I want... you want to do that just because... It's I, one I thing. It's possible. It's, it's a possible. Yeah. It's, it's another be- thing that yes. could be done. Yeah. Because her painting is unique. She's not using brushes. What is she using? She's basically sculpting her paint. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she did talk about that, right? Yeah. Oh. And I find that mm. fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Like, it's so different. It's a whole other thing she's doing. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, dude. It's kind of awesome. That is. They do look like souls. Is that what she said they were? Souls? Reminds me from, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the, uh, now you say souls. Because I said souls too, yeah. Oh, th- was that you? Yeah, I, I said the souls of her paintings. But what makes me think now that I hear you say it, it reminds me of a movie called A Nymphomaniac where they talk about the souls of trees and how each one had a person trapped inside of it. And her paintings kind of give me that feel. It does. Yeah. I feel they're so much creepier than she sees them as. They, it's, there's some darkness there. Yes. And it's, it's bittersweet because there's beauty there too. Yes. It's beautiful, but not in a happy way. No. She sees happy though, which is, I guess, the good part. But we're also jaded, dark individuals. So like, (laughs) I guess we're seeing what we surround ourselves by. Mm. But I do see quite the bit of darkness in the art. Yes. And... I see beautiful delicacies, like delicate individuals, delicate women, delicate girls, very fragile mm-hmm. and beautiful and dark. They do look I dark. think all those words perfectly describe it. Mm-hmm. But from my point of view, that's where the problem comes in. Yes. If we ask somebody yes. else, they're like, oh, yeah, this is nothing but the happiest painting I have ever seen. Yeah. I'm like, I guess... I guess everything I see has darkness in it. You're Batman now? I'm, ba- I'm always Batman. Oh, okay. Never know. <laughs> Anyways, if you guys enjoy Renee's art, I definitely think you guys should uh, keep up with her. You should find all her stuff. Follow her on her socials. You can find her on Instagram at Renee Romero Schuler, And you can find her Instagram shop at Shop Lady in the Dress. As well as you can find her website, ReneeSchuler.com. And, uh, yeah, go look at her things, stay, uh... Buy her things if you feel like it. Buy her things, keep up with what she does. Maybe one day she makes the one that's for you and you it just clicks and you're like, I want that one. Yeah. Just keep an eye out. She makes art that's... She's like Eminem with rap. You're what? so unique that it does feel like it. One each piece could be for someone. Yes, individual piece, that's like, what I find. It's just waiting for someone to adopt. Like the the child is just waiting to be adopted. A hundred percent. There, somebody's looking for the soul of the painting. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of when you find the soul of the painting that's yours. Yes. Like you were talking about the trees. Oh my gosh, this is the trees. It's like it. Her style of painting is each one is for someone. It's just a matter of will that person see it. Yes. Crap. That's all it is. It's beautiful. She's already captured a soul there. 
Is it your soul? Yes. Yeah. That's what that's about. That's what that's about. <laughs> Anyways, uh, to find our stuff, you can find us on the official website, greatthoughts.info, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any way you get your podcasts. And you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Just Convo Pod. Yes, and remember to subscribe and rate the show. And if you feel so inclined, please review it. And let someone who might like this show know about it. Yes, word of mouth. And anybody you know who is doing art, trying to do art, wants to be inspired by art, wants to hear of an amazing artist, discover a new amazing artist, wants to find out what motivates, what pushes, how artists think, what gets the gears going. Yep. This is the episode for them. Yep. And also, we have a few other artists, I think. Yeah, we got several artists. Episodes. But... Uh, Interesting enough, every single artist we've had has been a completely different kind of artist. We have yes. never repeated. Nope. We've never had uh, two painters that function in the same kind of painting. We've had uh, animators. We've but they're had... very different from each other. Yeah, we've had... Uh, yeah, definitely. It's crazy how varied these guys are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> musicians. Musicians. Comedians. Yeah. Comedians, musicians, uh, painters, animators, uh, sketch artists. The last guy was a songwriter, actually, right? Um, Michael Horn. Michael Horn was a is a musician yeah, as well. Like, yes, he I, he probably doesn't think of himself as that, but yeah, he, he doesn't realize that he, he inadvertently fit the suit. Yeah, even he was an artist. Even so. he was an artist. So shout outs to Michael Horn. The musician. Anyways, uh, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode very much. I thank you very much to Renee for being on here and sharing her mind with us, sharing her thoughts, her, her past experiences, what gets the gears turning. Um, and I'm sure that she gets too many of the same questions all the time in her life. And I like that I'm a weird guy interested in weird things. So maybe, hopefully, these were some interesting questions for her that made her think about things in a different way. Yeah. And this has been the Just Conversation Podcast. Take nothing personal and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. fascinating also is that thing we talked about in the podcast before of god needing fear oh yes god needing fear no that's interesting isn't it to keep reality functioning functioning yes like what if to like just to level up that that was a really complicated concept because god had to keep leveling up in order to reach the god form he's in yeah. so he was part of a system in which we're in now as just people and his god needed one to rise above to maintain the system so that he can either go to the next plane or die or whatever. Yeah. And then right now, everything that's happening is just so that we can get at least one to rise above and elevate to god form. Is it going to be Trump? I don't know. He's a pretty good hacker, man. He's a good hacker. Dude's got all the tricks. <laughs> Modding the game. Yeah. The Just Conversation podcast is hosted by Christina Colazzo and Jack Thomas, produced by Lynn Taylor and published by GreatThoughts.info, art by Zero Lupo, and logo by Seth McAllister, with social media managed by Amber Black.